After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root Poole, and this is What We Wore. Stephanie Summerson Hall is the passionate entrepreneur behind Estelle Colored Glass, named for her grandmother who taught her the value of collecting a beautiful, entertaining collection. Stephanie's story is a gift to any of our listeners who are budding entrepreneurs and looking for inspiration on their path. Stephanie Summerson Hall, I wish we were still in Amagansett talking, but we are talking over Zoom. (laughs) But that was such an incredible event. And I'm embarrassed to say, Stephanie, that that was my first time in the Hamptons. I'd never been. And to be really honest, I'd never really wanted to go. I just kind of never had an interest in it. And I was so blown away by how beautiful it was, but most especially, I think, how beautiful the dinner was that we attended that you contributed. It was all Estelle Glass and the entire dinner and it was one of the prettiest things I've seen. Well, thank you. It, it was actually, it was not my first time, but it was, um, it's always nice to visit um, Amagasset because it's, um, I mean, it's, it's just such a quaint little, almost a picturistic little place. And, you know, it's just a really nice little. Um, Idyllic. Uh, Stephanie, will you tell the listeners where you're from? I grew up in Holly Hill, South Carolina, in between Columbia, South Carolina and Charleston. And what was it like growing up there? How, what's the population? Just a few thousand, probably 200 people in my um, graduating class. A lot of people who've grown up here, you know, not a lot of newcomers, you know, <laughs> kind of same families. And I had a really good upbringing. I'm a very, um, very loving and supportive community. Teachers who really cared, who've been there, for, like institutions, teachers who were institutions and, you know, really dedicated their lives. Um, it was, you know, it was a really nice church family. It was, it was nice. And your family's still there? Yeah, my family's still here. My dad and my mom, um, their families live about 15 minutes apart. And I purposely moved back home um, in 2010, having lived, you know, numerous different, well, several different places. And I craved for like my children to live around um, family members and cousins and um, people that have known me my whole life. So that was something that I was very intentional about putting them, um, giving them that same experience your grandmother Estelle was she your, your maternal or your paternal grandmother uh, it was my it's my dad's mother and my paternal grandmother yes will you tell me a little bit about her I just I mean I just spent so much time at her house um I just every area of my life I mean I just she just was a big presence in you know in my life I mean she was definitely um had a lot uh, to say and, and, and really exerted her influence, you know, in your life. She wasn't like very um, passive. She was, um, you know, definitely more direct, a, a more direct person. So she told you what um, she gave you her opinions. She gave you her advice, um, all those things. But I mean, in, a, in a very subtle way, I mean, she, of course, she didn't overstep my parents or anything. Um, but she just was that figure that, um, and, you know, especially as I got older, you kind of knew what, you know, where she stood on things and, and she she found opportunities to um, to instill in you um, a value system that really is you know very strong. She definitely was um, a strong influence in my life, and, and again, just there's nothing, no area of my life I don't think of her fondly and and, and, and her influence and, and her wisdom. Did you have siblings also? I mean, did y'all go over there after school? Um, no, we didn't go over there after school because she actually worked, so we didn't go over after school. But, you know, you were just there, like, you know, on Sundays for dinners and, well, during the holidays, uh, we would almost have like a whole week of celebrations at our house. 
one of my dad's sisters um, lived in New York. And when she came, she came home for two weeks every year. And so my grandmother's house was um, the, you know, central. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we were just, she did my aunt, like, she didn't have any children. She would like just, I mean, like soak up every, every minute of being home for the holidays. Or so she had something going every, she would plan like dinners every night. You know, nothing real fancy, but just like all of her favorite things she wanted to eat while she was home. She would um, like make these pots of this and pots of that. Do you remember any of them specifically? What were the, what were some of her favorites? Well, she, we had this pork pot that's um, that was a wonderful, definitely um, <laughs> one night we had that always. Um, she'd have, you know, fried fish and, and we'd have um, red rice with our fried fish. So we'd have that one night. <laughs> We'd have, I mean, we'd, we'd run down the whole list of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another thing was like a catfish stew. Oh, um, yum. A catfish stew one night. I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just a big family reunion for a whole two weeks. And and it was always around the table or, I mean, typically around the table? It was table. at my grandmother's house, you know, and, you know, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily dinners where everybody, the table was set, but everybody would get a plate, you know, the, the adults would sit at the tables, you know, but it was very casual. It was this, these dinners were during the, you know, like I said, every night, so during the week, those were yeah. not dinners at, at my grandmother's dining room table. These were dinners at the more casual table in the kitchen and, you know, and the, the family room kind of tables, you know, and best times of your life as a child, you know, my aunt would bring home all these gifts from like, um, the streetwear from New York. So you, you got, <laughs> you, you got the, the belt buckles with your name on it. You got um, all, all these, all these like puffy coats and, it was just so exciting to see, you know, you tell her what you wanted and she would, she would, I mean, would bring it. So <laughs> I love <laughs> it. And all the cousins would be there too. And so everybody had their wish list. and um, yeah, yeah. She would bring all of us gifts and, you know, um, so yeah, all my, um, my dad has um, several siblings that live in um, just streets away from each other. So all of us <laughs> would be there and extended family members, the house would be packed for almost like, two, like, uh, <laughs> like I said, it would be like a two week, um, ongoing celebration <laughs> and, until my aunt left I love uh, it <laughs> everybody would rest <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you're right about that and, uh, but um so my grandmother would be hosting you know she would it would just be at her house and she would be there and you know, she'd be up cooking and you know it would just it would just be a really good time honestly and you know as, as you know this is I mean like the best childhood memories ever oh I know? love that and and so amazing that your your business really became that entertaining and <laughs> sharing you know yeah absolutely and, and that was one of the things I'm honestly most proud of like I mean we share a lot on our social media of of um the glasses being used at dinner time being you know used at uh, parties and setting the tables and, and and I'm and I'm really and it makes me really happy to see these because um you know that's one of the things that that, that was my connection to color glass like you know the pieces are memorable and so you, it's just certain elements, you know, like strong points, you know, that you remember, you remember a certain events or a certain, a, a numerous events in a certain phase of your life. And, and I just remember, the, like my grandmother had colored glass um, serving dishes. She had all kinds of different, you know, in her china cabinet. She had one more casual china cabinet and one of a more formal china cabinet in her um, formal dining room. So she just had all of her really nice, beautiful pieces. And, um, and so I, to the extent that I'm helping contribute uh, some, what I believe are beautiful pieces to um, all of these, you know, our community. 
Yeah. Um, uh, that, that makes me very happy. And, and, you know, and that's, you know, an inspiration to me every day when I see people using the pieces um, at dinner, even if it's a more casual, just weeknight dinner and, and, and they take the time to, to tag us. It's just, it really does give me like inspiration. I think that was for a long time was a lost thing because my grandmother probably was about your grandmother's age and my grandmother loved, loved, loved her crystal. It was like her favorite thing. And she would go, well, I bought this at this place and I had wanted this one, but I couldn't afford it. So then I waited five years and then I got, you know, it was like these elaborate stories about how and how important this crystal was to her. And then I feel like when we were growing up, it wasn't so much like our parents. Maybe it wasn't so much a thing, but I feel like you've really brought that back. My my own mother and my grandmother as well, um, really ingrained and building collections. You build like just have some really unique pieces. Yeah. You know, when you need to pull them out, you pull them out. Yeah. That's just something that you know any good host hostess um, is gonna just have some some really investment pieces that they're going to be able to pull out even if they're not you know even if they're collect if this is an eclectic collection you know my grandmother did you know yard sales um estate sales um one of our favorite stores was a store called roses um it was like the, the predecessor to um to kmart or yeah. actually they're still in existence now in certain places there's one in uh that's like <laughs> from us and, i remember um, roses said, <laughs> yeah <laughs> she spent hours and that was one of her i mean i would i would almost say her favorite store. So she spent hours in there. So she would always just be finding, um, you know, nice things, you know, probably there she was buying more everyday things. It would just, would be a travesty to her to pull out like um, plastic plates or, or <laughs> paper plates for, um, for anybody, you know, she never, I, I never saw her fix anybody's plate on, a, <laughs> you know, any, anything that was disposable. That was, that was almost, uh, well, that was probably wasteful to her too. You know, she, if she was even, making um, dinner for, you know, a grandchild, just a casual owner um, in an in a, in a open kitchen, she was going to give you a proper spoon and a proper plate. Did she teach you how to set the table? Because my grandmother taught me. <laughs> well, I mean, not, not a proper setting of the table, but, you know, you, you know, um, and just like, just by example of seeing her do it. And, and like when, um, probably the highest level of entertaining I saw my grandmother do was like when the preacher, our pre oh, know, yeah. preacher would come over after church on Sunday. That's and, a big know, his deal. Wife and, and guests <laughs> from the church who come over, and so you know, you just saw how it's like you bringing out the food and the and the and the proper bowls and the you know your plates and the, everything go on. Uh, I, I can't say she just per se just sat me down and said this is how it's done. I saw what she made for dinners and how she used seasonal ingredients and and you know you know number of, you know she'd have three maybe and she'd probably never have anything not have at least three to four meats like a dinner for a preacher and you have, you know, at least two to three vegetables and your starches and, you know, all the side dishes, um, you know, that are traditional here, like, you know, the mac and cheese and the potato salad and all these different things. Stephanie, as a little girl, what did you want to do? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be in a lawyer. I was um, very consistent with saying that um, there was a woman who grew up here too. And, and she had gone to the, I, I attended the university of South Carolina. She'd gone to, Georgetown Law School, and she was a partner at a law firm in Washington, D.C., and she was an African-American woman. And so my mother was a hairstylist. She owned a hair salon, and the woman's mother was one of my mom's customers. So I found out about the woman. I knew about her, and then and, and the local paper did a story about her. And, and I was like, I want to do that. That was early middle school. When I saw her having reached that level of, you know, in her profession, you know, being a lawyer, not that I even knew what a partner in a law firm was, you know, but 
but having you know this, the her education her background and everything i just said i i just saw myself being able to take that if she took that path and got where she uh you know where she ended up i, I set a goal with myself i'm gonna go to law school and tell me about being a lawyer did you did you love it once you got there my first job was a clerkship with a uh, judge that was um, the chief judge on um, on the highest court court in Maryland, which is their court of appeals. You know that was a um, very prestigious job to get out of law school. So I, when I got there, of course, I you know I, the judge was um, I, he was an um, Harvard educated African American judge. I mean he you know he just gave us a, the experience was just I mean a phenomenal experience. I mean the best job I ever had. You know, and then from there, I went and clerked for a um, the top judge in on the district district of Columbia, and she was an African American female judge. So those were you know those were some some phenomenal experiences. And and um, did they live up to them? Yes, they did. Now, when I actually got to the practice of law, it it did not honestly, <laughs> you know, honestly it did not because I I don't know you had this you know this um, idea that you know you're going to go to court, you were going to be you know you're going to get in these settings and you're going to be appreciated. And it was the reality and the dream, you know, you, so it was so different. Did you feel setbacks from being a woman? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it really is a double whammy, you know, being a black and a woman. The best way I can summarize it is either you're um, discounted or you're, or you're dismissed. And, um, you know, in, in different settings, um, I was both happened, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was it was just not an experience where you were you were gonna feel now, now when I like I said when I was with these judges who were very intentional about trying to mentor African American um, new lawyers in, in those settings. The mentoring was great, but you know, the reality of it is when you when you're like, you know, um, such a minority in these um, large organizations, it, it's it's just not gonna be the best experience. The experience itself really does aid you. You know, when you have to get up and you have to face this day in and day out, and it's not very nurturing and it's very um, most almost antagonistic and, um, and you, you know, you're um, marginalized. And, and, and it's like I said, the dream and the reality is definitely you, you get uh, <laughs> so worn, get worn down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get worn down very easily. I really didn't see where it was going to, um, you know, all of a sudden become what I thought it would be. Um, I, you know, I never saw a pathway after, you know, I practiced for 10 years. So after a number of years, you know, you're like, and, and then you talk to other people and you're like, well, how's that going for you? You know? And, and, yeah. you know, I, and so I'm like, well, 10 years, it's more like 25, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so and, I, and I said, well, you know, the trade-offs, I mean, so I've got to work all these long hours and my work is marginalized. Um, I'm not very appreciated here at the cost of what, and, and for me, Am I going to continue to do this um, or am I going to chart my own path? And, um, you know, if, if I'm not going to get a proper seat at the table, am I going to create my own table? I think you're married and you have children. Like, did you discuss it with your husband and say, like, I can't do this anymore? Or, or your grandmother or who was who the person that said, just just stop, like, it's killing you, don't do this anymore? Or was it just you? I really kind of... I'll let you in when I made my decision. I kind of do all the head work and all the, um, you know, the mental process myself. I really don't really, I'm not the kind of person that needs to talk something over with people. I make up my own mind. Really for me, it was um, a decision that, that I made 
and then I just told everybody else what I was going to be doing. You know, I'm, I'm like, I, <laughs> I like that. And, and I was making it over time because I'm like, I'd rather read the business section of the newspaper, um, you know, and, and it was for several different, you know, reasons, different angles why I would say the law was in the end was not probably the best fit for me. The skill set that I gained, have, am I using it today? Yes, I am. It was good for me, but it wasn't a part of my long term trajectory, honestly. I moved back to home to South Carolina and I had by that time I had decided I'm not gonna practice anymore. It was that, you know, and I was I had and I had you're right, I had a young family and I you know, I got married while I was practicing and everything, but I just I you know I said I'm not gonna practice anymore. While I was practicing I started a business, the event rental business. It was five years up and running when I decided to leave the practice of law. So it was it something that I could use to leave the practice of law and, and I said, Well I'm just gonna, you know, you know, I had young children. I'm just going to um, become a full-time entrepreneur. I, did I know that, you know, rental business was not all I was, you know, it had really no connection to me, you know, what, you know, but I just saw it as a, um, it was something actually I was helping. It was a family kind of uh, venture that I kind of set up myself and I saw it as, um, you know, something exciting to work on. Um, but I said, I was an absentee owner for all those years and, um, but I was working on it. And I, you know, and I enjoyed the work and I just said, I'm just going to build out this business. It was a, an event rental business. So like you, you rented dishes and silverware and things for parties. Is that right? Yeah. And, and more so on um, tents and tables and chairs. And it was in Holly Hill? Um, it's based in Holly Hill, but most of our, you know, it's more of a regional business. We are, most of our customers are, you know, we, we service a lot of different, um, you know, areas like Charleston is a major area we service, um, a lot of different areas around the low country. It, um, it was enough for us to come with our family. My husband, um, you know, he was working in corporate and, you know, we, you know, he basically, basically this business was already uh, going. And um, so we decided you know, this is enough for us at least to make the transition. So mm-hmm. we transitioned back here and we worked in the business. Um, and then that's when I you know, just started to dibble and dab and some other things. And Estelle was one of them. Estelle wasn't the first part. There was there was something else that you started within the events business, wasn't there? Oh yeah, well I started an online store. It was like with, with the with the rentals being the meat and potatoes, right? Um, our family, um, I started del- delving into other things. So on- online store was one of them as well. Yes. And tell me about that. You had to completely learn how to do e-com just on your own. <laughs> Yeah, you know, unless you're just starting a lot of resources and, you know, and, and just being another fish in the sea, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, and, and we didn't, like the, the name was not unique, the products we were selling, products, it was my, my twist on it was artists, beautiful artists and products. And um, and so that aesthetic was, you know, wasn't that, wasn't a necessarily, even a u- unique aesthetic. It just was a disaster because, you know, I could never really get any traction with it. Right, but all the lessons I learned from that is what really brought me to Estelle because I, I said, well, you know, I got to find something that is um, a very unique. Pro- you know, it can't be easily duplicated. Right. If you want to start a glass company, um, particularly like a colored glass company, you're gonna have a hard time finding someone to produce your pieces. Right. I, I think we've been credited with helping to bring about a revival of colored glass. Yeah. One of the proudest moments is when New York Times article said, you know, we were credited with um, bringing back a revival of colored glass. And that was something that I was very intentional about the uniqueness of the product, you know, and, and the production of it and high quality, um, all those things uh, made for a niche kind of a product and uh, um, can't be easily duplicated. 
so that's why I, I said, you know, I'm selling all this. One of the downfalls of having this um, e-commerce was I was selling at all these hundred different products from, and I was dealing with 70 different vendors, you know? Yeah. And, and it was, it was a long time before I was going to make any money because <laughs> um, you got, you got to buy a minimum product, yeah. you know, products and, you know, and, and then I'm not, you know, I'm not getting rid of it and all these different things. And, and um, the lesson I learned from that is if I have one vendor to deal with, <laughs> I expand on the product line, you know, it's all, it's all colored glass. And say, so, Stephanie, what was the first the first colored glass product that you created? Well, the first piece I was working on was our cake stands, and I hired an industrial designer. The hundred year glass glass maker said that they could make it, and so okay, I'm on to something. And then and then we you know we paired it with the stemware. So our inaugural collection consisted of stemware pieces in seven different colors, and our cake stand in about five different colors. And did it sell all of it? Sell just immediately like crazy. No, because uh. nobody knew about it. <laughs> how did you share with them about it? How did how did people well, begin to know about it? Got out the website up and running. Um, you know, we were doing. You know, we of course reaching out. We didn't have a, a lot of resources, so we were we reached out to you know the media and Charleston Wedding Magazine. Um, we had a relation pre existing relationship with them from our rental company. Right. They would like periodically reach out and say, "What are you working on? What's new?" And I said, well, I'm starting a color glass company. Um, and they were like, really? And, like, and so I had pictures and sent them pictures. And they were like, can you bring them to the studio? And that was the first magazine that gave us, you know, um, a spread. Stephanie, were you set up to sell at that point? When you, I mean, it's like they say, be, be careful what you wish for. You know, be ready when you're. Well, my first order was not a lot of product. Okay. You know, I, I think we had like 300 pieces of each of the colors we had. That sounds like and, a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, 50 sets, 50 sets of it. I don't know how many cake stands, um, but not a lot at all. And okay. I'm glad we didn't have a lot of cake stands because we had to go back and tweak our, uh, <laughs> our design of the cake stands. Yeah. And, and what year was this about? Um, it started in 2019. Okay. Oh my God. I can't believe that. I want to hear about that too, about the pandemic and like how, because you grew from 20,000 followers to 300,000 followers in like a year. Tell, tell me about that. That first Christmas, we probably had about maybe 30 orders. And that was like, ooh, that was, you know, fantastic for, you know, I, you know, we just get started, you know, cause we had just started, we started in 2019, October of 2019. That's when we introduced <laughs> the product to the public, the brand to the public. Right. And so we had those orders for Christmas. Um, you know, we had gotten, we've gotten a few orders in between that, but not a lot, you know, next year, the next year I'm planning to go to a trade show, all that stuff, <laughs> and really uh, start like a wholesale program and all that. And then, um, like two weeks before we were, um, the show was going to actually be starting. We'd already had, you know, everything, the booth and everything. Um, we got an email saying the show had been canceled because of something called COVID-19. You have a, a, an event business and then an entertaining business. When COVID-19 happened, were you like, okay, the, these businesses are over? All of our events were canceled. What happened is we had product on the shelf. Because remember, I, like I told you, we ordered 300 of each piece. Right. So we sold a couple of each color during the holidays. So we had, you know, decent amount on the shelves. Right. So what happened is during COVID hit and then we started getting a lot more traffic and, you know, we were online, you know, you know, trying to engage with the community, build the community. We started getting orders from yeah. people engaging with us online. And so we were coming in um, and, you know, and shipping product. And then when the George Floyd 
events happened, there was this move on the internet. People said, well, you know, systemic racism has affected black businesses, which is very true. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the Instagram said, well, we're going to support, we're going to throw our support around. We want to hear your stories. We don't, we're going to amplify black businesses. Right. Um, and, and, we're, you know, and then um, we're going to support these black businesses. And so that's, that was a moment when really it was a turning point for us because we were a black business, a female black business, you know, like it's a female business, it's a black business, two things, it's working in my favor now. Yeah. Um, and so every, honestly, every major um, like magazine um, came knocking at our door. I was doing several interviews at a, at a day. Wow. We made so many different lists. You know, <laughs> the, the people wouldn't start looking for search, searching for black businesses. You know, and, and, and then they went to tell her, we just, here's a product you can buy. And ta-da, we had products they could buy. Did you feel ready for it when it came? Like, were you prepared? Well, I mean, prepared or not, you know, I was <laughs> we started getting, a, a, you know, a ton of, um, you know, followers. Um, and, and like I said, every um, architectural digest, um, Veranda, um, Martha Stewart, um, you know, people not only, you know, they weren't necessarily doing the print magazines because everybody was at home, mm. but they were doing this, you know, online, which was is just as important as, um, or just as impactful as yeah. the, um, the the print media. But all of these, all of these magazines um, knocked on our door and wanted to do stories for us. It was it was just a really a tremendous opportunity, and it was just timing. And um, and and you know, do you have product on your shelf that people could buy now? Yes, we do. Um, and, and is this something that people could, you know, you know, people could use and, and, and they wanted to buy it was not a black product it wasn't a white product it wasn't a hispanic product it's a beautiful product it was a universal product so that really was um an opportunity for us to get our brand and, and we got more pr um than i think most brands probably would get in 10 years honestly the three-month period yeah i mean we were in every magazine and the good thing about it is that um not only that but we've had the magazines come back over and over again so well and was that stressful or was it, I mean, it was exciting, obviously, but was it, was it scary? Was it stressful? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't because, you know, we, we, we sold a lot of product. We've got more product being produced. It's going to take, you know, we had customers that waited three months on our product. Wow. Uh, it was, it, it became stressful when, you know, like, oh gosh, you know, I don't, we don't have this product. You know, we, we kept selling. Um, and, you know, we told the customers that, you know, we're going to restock on, this has been your product's going to ship. And, and nobody said, you know, you had a few people who needed it for gifts. They'd walk away, but 95, 98% of the people waited on the product. So wow. it was, it was really life changing, honestly. And, and that's what we were doing. Our company, we were, that was our pivot. We, you know, um, all the rental people, we, uh, when we were able to come back to work. We just had this tremendous amount of growth. And, and one of the things that I know you're proud of that I'm really proud of is that you you employ a large amount of people in your own community in Holly Hill. Don't you tell me how many people work with you? Yeah. So our brand is um, like we have a number. We have a handful of remote people, um, you know, in different states and that sort of thing. But um, but the vast majority, 75 um, percent of the people live about, you know, um, 30 miles or less. And, and, and the, I mean, honestly, about. 50% of them live like within 10 minutes. Stephanie, how many people work with y'all? We are inching past 40. So okay. awesome. Um, you know, during the holidays, um, we'll be probably up to about 50. That's the absolute most thing I'm fulfilled about is um, being able to offer 
uh, well-paying jobs, but, you know, with health insurance that we cover, yeah. I mean, in our community, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tremendous, you know, it's something I feel on personally that my grandmother would be very proud of, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so I, I, I'm, that's the thing, you know, it's, it's one thing to be able to support my family, but to be able to offer, to contribute something to my community and to help with the economic revitalization, yeah. that is very fulfilling. Tell me what the future of Estelle glass looks like, Estelle colored glass. Well, for now, I mean, you know, we're, we're celebrating our third birthday um, starting in October. You know, in terms of our growth, um, we have a lot of opportunities for growth. We, you know, we've had a tremendous amount of growth. Yeah. Um, and, um, I'll say. <laughs> you know, honestly, we'll be reevaluating a lot of things after the holiday season. Mm-hmm. And um, but, you know, um, what we're doing now is really just continuing to tell our story and get these what we believe is a beautiful product in the hands of our community and building our community. The business side of things will take care of itself, you know, whatever needs, whatever decisions I need to make um, at the helm of the, of the brand, I will make, you know, in, in intelligent decisions. But for now, we're just, um, we're, you know, we're just telling our story and helping, again, with the revitalization of our community. Yeah, it's amazing. How do you think being an entrepreneur has changed your family life? It allowed me to be, you know, intentional. I was actually just having a conversation with um, someone today. Um, like, I'm intentional about this stage of uh, my life with my kids. I have four children. Um, you know, I come into the office. Um, um, I'm usually here three days a week. I'm home two days a week. Um, and, and, if, and if I need to switch that around, you know, I'll switch it around. But um, I'm my, my daughter's um, volleyball coach um, this fall um, for their YMCA <laughs> um, volleyball team. I'm home a lot. Uh, all of our staff goes home at 12 o'clock on Friday and we're closed all weekend. You know, people have a good quality of life, I believe. So um, nice. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's just, I'm just being very intentional about where I put my focus and my attention. And I'm just going to enjoy this, you know, this ride, this, uh, <laughs> you know, this phase of life, um, honestly. And, and I don't think that you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I could go, you know, even entrepreneurs, you know, definitely working hard. And I'm, I'm, I had to, you know, you have to be creative. Like I don't watch one hour of TV a week, and, and, and that's really, but, but I do, and I do spend time like, um, you know, social media, engaging with the community and, and different things that I do personally myself. Um, even though, you know, I have marketing people and other people to hand it off to, but, but I just try to live like my passion, you know what I mean? Find a way to make it a part of my life without being work. So what I'm doing doesn't really even feel like work on social media, but it is really work. And, and I'm, but at the same time, I'm at home, I'm making dinner, I'm, I'm able to take my kids, I'm able to let them, you know, enjoy different um, opportunities, um, different experiences without having to be tugged in different directions. I, I knew 75 hours a week I was working as a lawyer was not gonna be, <laughs> as a mother, not something I was, I could buy, you know, you're not going to sell that to me because there's got to be another way. What's your number one piece of advice for somebody with a business idea that they haven't acted on? Uh, people say, well, I got this, this gig I'm going to start doing on the weekends or I'm going to start this. And I said, well, let me, you know, you, you got to do a cause analysis because if it's, if you, if you have a job, you got to, you really got to make sure it's a, it's going to be something that you can make money from. You know, if, if you're going to call it a business it's not a, and not a hobby. Right. You've really got to see the, the um, financial potential there um, for profits, not just making money, but profits. 
Yeah. And then you got to see how much money you're going to make. You know, whether it's gonna, if you can make some money, is it going to be a lot of money or a little bit of money? And if it's not going to be a lot of money, you honestly, I tell people all the time, I don't, if I were you, I would value my time more than that. You know, <laughs> if you have, a, if you have a job and you have a career, um, don't go at yourself. If, you know, if, if you can't really, you know, the impact that you're going to have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just to say I'm doing it myself because I mean, there's a lot of work and a lot of things. If you work for someone else, a lot of things that are not, you're not going to be on your shoulders. So I would, I would definitely do a, an analysis and, um, and, and if you were just getting started, value your time, put the, you know, you know, if, if it's something for me, if it's something that requires me now to, um, to take away time on the weekends for my children when they're in their, you know, in middle school and, you know, going into high school and they've got so much going on. I rather, my presence is a gift to them. Yeah. My presence is as much as is, is a top priority for me. It's priceless. Your money isn't even my key driver, you know, my driving force, you know what I mean? But so I, I think you just really have to evaluate it. But if it's something when, when all the boxes check off and you really believe in it, and if, even something's creative, that's not even going to make a lot of money, but you just really want to do this and you know, you can make a living from it. I would just say, go for it. Um, start small, um, use your community as a, a launching pad. If you can involve the um, e-commerce now and, and, and sell your product all over, you know, for now, we sell our product all over the world. So it, it doesn't live in the community you want to live in. Right, exactly. And make it automated if you can. And, and make it, don't create something very complicated. For me, at this stage in my life, I want something very simplified. At the end of the day, what we do is we sell beautiful glass. And, and you know, with tools like Shopify, this can be done very easily. And we go home, we go home on the weekends and we don't have to worry about it because, because we're open 24 <laughs> seven. Is Estelle your forever business or do you think you're a serial entrepreneur? Oh I, yeah, I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm, definitely, I'm, I'm definitely already working on, um, you know, and I have some other ventures, some other um, business um, dealings and, 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 but I have another brand that I'm going to build and I'm already working on it. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. <laughs> one thing also I wanted to say, I think for me in selling clothes, you know, one of the biggest joys is to see somebody in the wild wearing, wearing your clothes and just seeing people, the joy of people loving their things. And I think being with you at that dinner in Amagansett and to see that table set and to hear the ooing and aahing, I mean, I, I'd never seen anything like that. And I thought, for me, that felt like such an accomplishment and what a joy for you to be able to see people enjoying what you created. You, you're so right. I'm always so fascinated. Um, and that's part of my job, going out and talking with people and, and getting, um, telling the story. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm so humbled by the reaction I get. And, and, and we are a lot alike because we get to curate these things and we get to, we get to treasure hunt. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, and for me, I mean, that's something that's not work. It's, you know, it's, it's passion, really, you know? Yeah. I'm really enjoying, you know, what, what I've built. Because you don't want to build something that you're not going to enjoy. You know, that's not going to bring you any fulfillment and any um, pleasure. What do you think your grandmother would think about what you created? I mean, I've always been a very serious person and always um, have been like on the straight and narrow and done things that <laughs> I've set out to do. <laughs> So I would think that she wouldn't be so surprised, you know, that, you know, that I've actually followed through with something and done a good, you know, done a, uh, a really good success. job. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it put my whole heart into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and, um, and, and, and didn't give up, you know, even when I was had all the failures and all these setbacks, um, 
I would think that she would already know, she knows that, you know, that I was going to be a person that's going to make take lemons and make lemonade and, and, um, <laughs> and make a contribution and be productive. And serve it in a beautiful glass. We ask everyone on the podcast what they wore to the prom. And I am so excited to hear about the prom fashions in Holly Hill. <laughs> well, I wore, I always was like, I never was like a long dress person. Honestly, mm -hmm. um, I always wore like you know, at least knee length um, dresses or like a little bit higher. Uh huh. The first time I wore a black seat dress that had black, it had like um, tiered ruffles. Mm -hmm. And it was not actually, it would probably be okay today. <laughs> and it was sleeveless. And it had um, the top of it was all sequins, and then I had these earrings on. I had my hair in this um, style it was called um, weaves. Oh, sounds pretty. It was a pulled up hairstyle, and I had these um, kind and of it, like. Did these... your mom do it? She did do it. I love it. Yeah, and, and, and then it was like the sequins air the sequins on the earrings matched the dress, and it, um, it was like a little dot. In, actually in my ear and then it was a little ball that dropped down oh I love it and did you shop for it in Columbia or was there a place in Holly Hill to shop I don't know where I got that dress from honestly <laughs> I can't remember probably at a at a mall in Charleston that's where we okay that's where y'all would shop okay <laughs> yeah yeah we, we we did um most of our shopping in Charleston at this mall called Northwoods Mall did you make sure your date had a matching did he have a, a sequin sequin tie or anything no 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 he had a, no that was these were not the times of all these matching he just had a, basic, a basic black suit on with a black bow tie i love it and then, you know what and my cassage was a red roses oh i love it oh stephanie thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today and share your story it's very very inspiring What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. queencitypodcastnetwork.com.